the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Why do we love our celebrities so much? And then, does it matter how we dress? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Aubrey Sampson. But Aubrey is out of town for the week. She's gone and in her place, in person. It's our friend Steve Coble. Steve, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. I'm running low on sleep, uh, but I'm uh, I'm bright in spirit. I would like to say that you are. We're going to get to that here in a second. I would like to say that you're running low on sleep out of just the excitement and the nerves and the energy, knowing you were going to be in today on live radio. <laughs> Uh, but that is not so much the case. Uh, Steve has been on the show many times before. He often will sit in for Aubrey if Aubrey is not here. But, Steve, uh, for listeners who do not know, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, your church. Tell them about yourself. Yeah, I'm one of the pastors at Renewal Church of Chicago. I often say, and Brian likes stones to throw. re-say, I'm a stone's throw away. <laughs> We're a stone's throw away from uh, the United Center. We just celebrated uh, our ninth, uh, ninth year anniversary I got two uh, kiddos at home, uh, one's two and the other's five months, and I'm married uh, to my beautiful wife, who is possibly listening, Kristen. <laughs> to, let, let's just, uh, let's go to the kid thing here for a second. All right. Two and five months. That's two children very close to each other. <laughs> and you are in the uh, the beginning stages. Like I, I remember when you, we, I, one of the last times you were on, you were about to have your kid, mm-hmm. the second one. And I remember being like, man, that, they're going to, like, grow up together. That's going to be so yeah. fun. They're going to be buddies. That's going to be it. But these first two years, three years, like, walk me through what the Cobal house is like right now. Yeah, we're just in the throes of it. You know, we're in the throes <laughs> yes. of two-year-old tantrums and uh, in the throes of, uh, you know, uh, sleep regressions and uh, kids not sleeping through the, the night and, uh, breastfeeding and uh, bottle feeding and, yep. you know, having to carry 9,000 different things out of the house at once. <laughs> well, that's what we're in the middle of. I remember those days of like, I don't need this. I don't need this. Rub it in for you. But like when you just don't even know what time of day it is, <laughs> you're just like, I don't like I'm so far on the other end. My kids are 19, 16 and 14. So I'm dealing with my own stresses and my own this. But but sleepless nights, I, I sometimes don't sleep because I'm getting older, but like sleepless nights is not it. And uh, uh, that is it. What's fun about a two-year-old though right now? Two-year-old son, that's got to be fun. Oh, man. He has a, uh, his own will. He's discovered um, one of the, I, I mean, I'm trying to teach him T-ball. Sometimes we, we mm. it, it works. Sometimes he's like, yo, I don't really care. <laughs> um, and then we've got him, I've got him a, a, a little motor car that he, he can drive it doesn't have the room i made the mistake of not buying the one with the remote so he just like runs and crashes into stuff and oh where's like the remote you could control yeah it. Yeah, okay. yeah okay i think you're supposed to be three years old when you drive one of these but i got <laughs> Started it uh, young. got it early 
but yeah, that's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to watch him uh, love on his baby brother. He knows mm. he's got a brother, and um, and he's really starting to use his words and stuff like that. So that's all really fun. It does hit that stage. Rick. I can't wait till they can talk until they can talk. Or I can't <laughs> wait till they can run until they can yeah, run. And yeah. then you're like, oh, that's something. Yeah, that's the age where like it feels like a new thing happens every. Two weeks. Yeah. Like, oh, you couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. All of a sudden, you're like, you know, having a catch out front, or you're out going out to McDonald's. To, it's good times. That's that's a lot of fun. So, Renewal Church of Chicago, where you are one of the pastors, right by the United Center. Uh, tell us more about the church. I'm going to ask. Then I'm going to ask some. We're just going to get to know you. We're going to reacclimate with you since you're going to be here all okay. week. Uh, tell us kind of what makes Renewal Church of Chicago special. Yeah, I mean it. Our kind of mantra is that it's a gospel-centered, disciple-making, multi-ethnic church. I think the, one of the things that is super distinct about being in the city of Chicago, because the city itself is so segregated, um, is that it really is a, a multi-ethnic church. So mm. it is uh, made up of, you know, there's there's it's not like there's perfect demographics in terms of everything fits uh, the pie perfectly, but there's folks who are Asian who are there, there's Latino people who are there, there's black folks, there's white folks, um, and, uh, you know, there's there's age differences. So it, it really is for me. The, the exciting thing about it is that it really is a taste of heaven mm. by being uh, intentionally multi-ethnic. How do you do that? Because every church would go, I'd like different races here, different. Well, maybe not every church, but hopefully most churches would want that. But you guys are doing something different. You're like, we're going to chase after this. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really challenging, um, but we had the good favor of doing it from the onset. So from the very beginning, uh, it's been a multi-ethnic church. Um, you know, there's there's always things that you have to think on in terms of uh, like the practicality of a worship mm-hmm. gathering and music that's uh, representative of uh, ethnic groups. And you have challenging conversations of, uh, about, you know, being uncomfortable in worship yep. and what you're used to singing versus what you're not used to singing. And uh, that sort of disjointedness that's actually helpful to our spiritual growth. So you have to pass it like another element of pastoral shepherding uh, that you have to consider. Um, and then I think like biblically, we, we look at Jesus uh, not counting equality with God, something to be grasped. Mm. And so like there's, there's something to being a Christian and actively laying down your rights for the benefit of others that is just uniquely uh, like spiritual maturity in in emulating Jesus in that yeah. way. And so we're actively trying to find uh, how do we do that. I think, uh, I think one of the things that is uh, kind of prevalent in evangelical space is that a lot of my white brothers and sisters don't consider themselves to have a culture. Mm. And so what ends up happening is that a lot of different cultures assimilate to uh, the majority culture. And so what you end up seeing is you, you see multiple uh, ethnic groups represented, but they're all assimilating to to one culture. And so mm. what we're trying to do is, you know, I think sociologists call this uh, the, the idea of whiteness um, and sort of the I'm, I'm sure that's provocative in, in some uh, forms and some spaces, but it's just the idea that the culture of the majority is the right way to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people do that without even noticing that's what they're doing or that what they're ascribing to. And so you're always trying to make sure that majority culture isn't 
the thing that everybody is ascribing to. And that's it, it creates its own challenges, but it, it really is a, a beautiful thing and, nice. and a representation of the of the a true representation of the kingdom of God. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Last question about yourself. Why are you a pastor? Tell us your story. How did you become a pastor and uh, what keeps you going? <laughs> Uh, honestly, the enormous paycheck, <laughs> man, that is, that is a huge, uh, benefit. Uh, obviously we're, we're joking, but, uh, I became a Christian when I was in college. So, um, and I wasn't very good at school. And uh, so there was never this moment of, oh man, that that's exactly what I want to do with my life. Uh, it was always like, I'm not passionate about anything besides baseball. Uh, how <laughs> yes. do I, you know, and your middle school counselor tells you like, find what you're passionate about and pursue mm. that. Um, and I just remember very early on when I became a believer that I had a, a great sense of wanting to uh, like vocationally uh, serve God. Mm. And um, I don't know, I didn't realize what that meant, what that really actually looked like. I mean, I look back, you know, 15 years, 16 years later, and I'm saying to myself, man, I would have been good at some other things too. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this was the thing that I, I think that God really placed on my heart to to do. And so it, it almost felt like uh, sort of like that very natural, like, this is the good work that God pre- prepared before the foundation of the earth that I should walk in it. Um Ephesians two ten and mm. and and so that's what I've been doing. I think, you know, psychologically, I have a, uh, empathic uh, psychology. Like I, I really uh, can care deeply for people. Um, and then early on, when I started preaching, people would say, "Hey, you should do that some more." And um, that's kind of that's kind of one of the things that that stuck with me is just something that I, I was gifted at and that I felt called to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, glad that you're here with us, man. Uh, I forgot about your love for baseball, your baseballness growing up as well. Uh, coming up next, when Aubrey's away, we're going to talk a little bit of sports. So, did you see the Bears game yesterday? Steve and I, we neither of us are Bears fans, right? So, we are going to be able to, uh, without great emotion, unpack what happened. And there was a special attender at the Bears game in Kansas City last night <laughs> that everybody in our in our uh, culture is talking about. We're going to talk about the Bears game yesterday next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hope that everybody had a great weekend. Steve, do you know who didn't have a great weekend? The Chicago Bears. Did you watch that game at all yesterday? I did. It was it was pretty painful, actually, especially after last week and the response and interviews yep. and stuff like that. So Aubrey does it like she's very non, you know, non-sports driven. So I can't have this conversation with her. But before we get to what we're actually going to talk about, your Colts, I remember you're an Indianapolis Colt fan. Good win yesterday. Overtime, guy kicking 50-yard field goals. My Giants are off to a little rocky start. But uh, Justin Fields, a year from now, will he be the quarterback of the Chicago Bears? You know, I hope uh, that they're able to figure this out. I hope that, you know, obviously he was a high draft pick. Um, he's obviously talented, mm-hmm. um, but and something's not working. Something's though. not working. Um, and they had the same trouble with Mitch Trubisky. So you got to ask the, the question, like, is this like an organizational issue or, or is it really like a, a talent issue? I'm not sure. They are a mess. <laughs> they really are a mess right now. And uh, yesterday... And it happens. I mean, the Dolphins beat the Broncos seventy to twenty yeah. yesterday. Yeah. But it happens. But that Bears game was 
It felt like the Chiefs could score however many points they wanted to yeah, yesterday. Yeah. So, you know, not being you know, even though I'm not a Chicago Bears fan, I feel like because they're in the NFC mm-hmm. and I get them on TV mm-hmm. every Sunday, I want them to do well. Um, and I just grew up watching Peyton Manning and uh, watching Marvin different. Harrison and Reggie yes. Wayne catch touchdown passes left and right. And the offense, the game, it, it, it almost feels like it's not professional like football compared to what I grew up watching. That that's that's kind of like feels a little like hyperbole, but man, it's just not very good. So here's where the Bears are at, and then I want to talk about something else. Here's where the Bears are at. They host this week the Denver Broncos at Soldier Field. So you get a home game against a team that just lost seventy to twenty, who is also zero yeah. three. Take a guess who's a two-and-a-half-point favorite right now. Oh, I definitely think the Broncos are. They are. Now, ironically, I'll tell you this. I'm actually scheduled Saturday night to do the chapel for the Denver Broncos. Stop it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We buried the lead here. Walk me backwards. How does this happen? You know, I had a a friend who is deeply involved in Athletes in Action, Mm -hmm. and um, I think uh, several years ago the Bears had a need for a uh, chaplain and I interviewed for the role, and and uh, the guy never forgot me. So I didn't obviously get the job, but for whatever reason, uh, Ray Jackson, who's on staff with uh, the Denver Broncos, every time they come into town, uh, he gives me a call and asks if I'd like to come out. So what is that going to look like? So is this Saturday night? Do you go where do you do you go their team hotel? Yeah, so you do the team hotel Saturday night. They're doing all types of stuff. They've like blocked off the whole portions of a, a hotel and um and you'll have a, a little service, twenty minutes and what uh, percentage of the team do you expect to be there? Uh, probably pretty low. It's they probably, don't have to be there. Yeah, they don't have to be there. It's probably I think one year there was maybe like forty guys there. Wow. Um maybe a little less. John Elway was there, he shook my hand. Nice. I was like, I just preached the gospel to John Elway. <laughs> that was pretty cool. That's well, I believe Russell Wilson's a believer. Maybe you'll see yeah, Russ yeah. this week. Well, well, I mean, you've got your work cut out for them because I repeat, they just lost seventy to twenty, so they might be hurting this week a little bit. But they are coming to Chicago, so it is this weird dichotomy where you're like, I hope you guys are doing well, and like. Everybody's like on pins and needles, like thinking they're going to lose jobs. When the teams are doing bad, there's so much pressure that it just oh feels my like gosh, I can't I'm imagine. glad I don't do this job. So that's wild. With being the chapel speaker, do you get tickets to the game the next day? Usually, uh, usually uh, there's somebody's got some tickets. Uh, I think a couple of years ago we went up to Green Bay, and they were playing the Packers. And uh, we stayed the night in the hotel and went to the, my father-in-law and I went to the game. Um, and uh, and so we we may uh, go to the game uh, this year as That's well. That's awesome. Uh, I did not know this. I'm fascinated by this. So is there a little bit of nerves? Will this be more nerve-wracking than what you normally do, like preach into your church or something? Or have you gotten used to it and you just are good with it? It's it's not that it's, it's nerve-wracking. It's... it's uh, I think the the atmosphere and what it is is very unique in that you got 20 minutes. Mm. I got 20 minutes uh, to talk to some people, some of whom uh, may not be believers, uh, others of whom um, are there just just 
out of like routine uh, for their week itself. Right. So I, I try to take it easy on myself and yeah, uh, and just teach from a, a space of familiarity. So which hotel? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tell us where you'll be. We'll all come and support you. I won't you. get invited back. <laughs> we'll all come and support you. Well, that's really awesome, man. I'm I'm excited for you. So, not to bury the lead from the Bears game yesterday, but it was all about Taylor Swift yesterday. Yeah. It was all. Can I read you? Listen to this. This just came across Twitter. Uh, following the Chiefs' Sunday win and in-stadium appearance from Taylor Swift, NFL partner Fanatics tells ABC... They've seen a 400% uptick in sales of Travis Kelsey merchandise. (laughs) The uptick has landed Kelsey a spot as one of the top five selling NFL players on the year. Uh, The Swifties are powerful, man. I've told our audience here before, my daughter, a youngest daughter, she's 14. She is prime Swiftie age. Her and my wife went to one of the concerts and it's one of my wife said it's the greatest concert she's ever like. Taylor Swift goes 44 songs, three hours, 15 minutes, does it every, night after night. Like That's my da- crazy. My daughter has called that her favorite night of her life, which I take a little bit of issue with. <laughs> uh, but it was crazy, the hoopla around Taylor Swift yesterday and all it did. The fact that she was at the game felt like it took over everything, even watching the game. Yeah, yeah. It was just weird, though. Like, what does it teach us? What does it teach us about celebrity? Or is it she – like, people have equated her to 1980s Michael Jackson right now. Like, wow. in her reach. She's about to put out a concert movie one night. It's like a, like behind the scenes of the concert. It's going to be in movie theaters. They're estimating into one night she'll make $150 million on it. I mean, I'm dumbfounded by, by like, the reach that she has and the following that she has and – yeah, I don't know. It's it's like a level of celebrity that's it's like a transcendent celebrity. They there is a report, it's unsubstantiated, but there's a video I showed you. She was in the Kelsey family suite at at Arrowhead at KFC at um Kansas City, and all these people knew she was there, so they weren't watching the game. There's like five deep people outside the suite waiting for her to come out. Uh-huh. And she never came out, and they think that she was taken out in a popcorn machine like in a big like big thing she was pushed out and nobody yeah. knew it <laughs> i saw the picture I, i'm like if they never saw her come out i mean maybe what would she you was. what would you equate her to right now oh. i think it's michael jackson in the 80s michael Man, jordan in the 90s that's hard for michael jackson in the 80s just seems like too <laughs> like too far but okay. I don't know. Maybe Prince in the eighties. Maybe that, maybe I'm a hater. I don't know. She's not. Uh, you're probably not her demographic. I'm uh, not. Yeah, neither am I. You know, as a forty six year old. Although I'm, the dads are now getting into her because the daughters like them so much. It's weird. There's people who want to be like celebrity. This too much. I'm like, it's great. The, the, she's a brilliant marketer. She's doing something. So I don't know. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it may, she makes my daughter happy. She <laughs> makes my daughter happy. I will tell you that. Okay, so we want a report next week of what you share with the with the Broncos okay. because it is. Did I mention they lost seventy to twenty yesterday? Oh man! People might hear that and go, "Is that a lot?" There have not been seventy <laughs> points scored in an NFL game since nineteen forty four. I believe the stat is, and the Denver Broncos gave up seventy yesterday. And Steve Koble has to come in and give them a word 
this weekend of encouragement. Brad, I literally haven't even thought about that yet. And now I'm like, I feel a lot of pressure. Do not be anxious about anything is going to be your call. All right, coming up next, there's been a lot of controversy uh, over the Senate dropping its dress code. What does it mean? Uh, does it say something about our culture? And then we're going to point the finger at ourselves. Does a lack of kind of dress code say anything about our churches? We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Steve Koble, who's sitting in for a traveling Aubrey Sampson all week. Uh, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on just a beautiful Monday afternoon here in the Chicagoland. There's nothing I like more. We're about to talk clothes in a second. There's nothing okay. I like more than shorts, hoodie weather, like the fall. Like, this is it. You're yeah. dressed so much nicer than me today. It's almost <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, but, yes, this is the time of year. Uh, and if you've missed any of our shows last week, this week, go get their podcast. Wherever it is you get your podcast, you can subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. All right, we're just going to be two guys talking fashion now. You ready? Two guys talking fashion. Did you see that the U.S. Senate recently dropped its dress code requirement, sparking criticism from many conservatives online because they said it's to appease John Fetterman, who dresses like me, usually like workout shorts and a hooded sweatshirt. So it started this whole – maybe you haven't seen this. It has started this whole, like, conversation. I eventually want to talk about the church. Okay. But let's, start, let's sit with the Senate here for a second. Some people have seen this as, like, an extension of what's wrong with our society, right? Like, we don't have any more formal standards. So you're in the Senate. You should be wearing a suit and tie. You go to work. You should be wearing whatever. And uh, I kind of like the casual nature of, of who we are now. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who would disagree with that. What do you think? Fashion. I, it's a mixed bag for me, too. I I mean, I think, you know, I was coming here and I often say as a pastor, uh, man, I guess I, I wear an Oxford button up in khakis and and I'm always dressed for every occasion. Right. <laughs> so true. I'm, I'm always like I'm a little underdressed for the people who are super formal, but in, in, I, it just always feels appropriate. So I, I feel like that's my my default. But I love, you know, I'm bald. So. <laughs> So the opportunity in the wintertime when you can just pull the hood up around your neck or up over your head, like just to get a warm up really quick is really, really nice. Yes. <laughs> just like, I'm bald. <laughs> All right. I want, here's the, here's the more pressing issue. You and I are both pastors. Uh, my church, if you came there on a Sunday morning, I would say is super casual. And even when I started preaching, both at my old church, but also I would say for the first couple of years at our current church, I would always be in khakis. Kind of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started preaching in, I, I can't get myself, nor do I know that it's appropriate. I don't ever preach in shorts, but I'll preach in jeans and a button down shirt or something like yeah. that, right? There are many, there are people in my very casual, we're in a warehouse, like there's, there's still some people who insist on wearing a tie and they oh. insist on wearing because, we're in God's house. We're yeah, worshiping. Yeah. So if you come to my church, it'll be everybody from shorts and a t-shirt to um, to a tie. But most people probably land in the middle there. It's probably more casual. And there are many people who think that that's a problem. 
Like it's almost unbiblical. So what would you say in your church? Just paint a picture. If we came to your church, what's kind of, what do you tell people the attire is? Yeah, I would say very similar to what, uh, what you described, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like what, what is nice? What is a nice outfit for, um, you going out to dinner type, uh, kind Mm -hmm. of outfit. And oftentimes, you know, their sneaker culture is a big part of uh, is a big part of our church. We actually last week uh, had a sneaker ball nice. to celebrate nine years. Uh, but we actually worship um, in a ballroom that is connected to a historic African American church uh, called New Zion Baptist mm-hmm. Church. And so every time I meet with the deacons or stuff like they're dressed to the nines, three piece suits and cufflinks, French cuffs, and, you know, all of that stuff. Interesting. And so it's it's a dichotomy. Even this past anniversary, I showed up in some really nice tennis shoes, a, a really nice shirt and khakis, and my colleague had a three-piece suit on to celebrate <laughs> the anniversary. So it's always like there's a little confusion yep. around, like, what it, what it ought to be. Is there something to uh, – dress is a big part of it, but just in general, our churches are probably a lot more casual – than a generation ago. Sure. Is there anything wrong with that? Like, I think in general, that's a that's a positive move that we've made. Right. But have we lost something? Is there so, is there something too casual now? Yeah, I, I mean that's an interesting uh, question. I, I think on the on the one end, I really like the. I think for people who are not religious or mm-hmm. not Christians in general, it, it gives a uh, an evangelistic uh, opportunity. Uh, for people to come as you are um, when it comes to uh, like, I could actually be a Christian or see myself being a Christian uh, envision it based on the people that are around me. Like they just look like regular everyday people. Um, And then on the flip side, I think that there was a historically, especially in the African American church, um, there was this sort of sense in which Sunday morning people were going to meet with God and it was the most important meeting that they had mm-hmm. all week. Mm-hmm. And so in order to like remind their soul that this is the most That's important meeting that yep. I have all week, they would get dressed up uh, as nice as they could mm. uh, because they were going to meet with God. Interesting. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's both. And there's, there's this evangelistic opportunity with the come as you are. And I think there's sort of like, uh, maybe even a missing portion to the to the seriousness of what is going to happen when we come and right. gather as the uh, as the church to worship God. I think there's something to that. When I was growing up and we had to dress nicely, it was always we give God our best. That was always the mm-hmm. language, right? Like you give God your best. And uh, so, if somebody said that to you, Pastor, we're supposed to give God our best, and they tried to relate it to, I'm, I'm trying to say, what is it actually to? What does it actually look like to give God our best? It feels like really low-hanging fruit is how am I dressing? But there's something sure. more yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. What's the sermon there? What's the teaching on, quote-unquote, giving God our best? Yeah, I think it's the posture of our hearts mm. entering into worship. And oftentimes, we've talked about this on this show before, but we're such uh, lawish people that we like to keep rules rather than, uh, than to think. Uh, we, we'd rather just say, all right, I put on the nice clothes and then use my outward appearance as a way to compare and contrast myself to other people mm-hmm. than to say, like, I'm actually coming at, with a heart posture of giving God my best 
with my nice clothes. Yeah. And so I think it's about the the way you approach the worship gathering itself as you go into worship. And oftentimes I say to people that we believe that information is the primary means through which we change. Mm. That's why people are okay missing the worship time as long as they made it for the sermon. That's why everybody signs up for the master class of mm-hmm. some version of something, because we believe that information is the primary means through which we change. Um, and and yet one of the things that I think that we fail to realize and recognize is that like, hey, I'm I'm supposed to come and bring worship to God. Like yeah. there's something God is going to do in me through me singing to God. There's something that God is going to do in me when I take the things that God has entrusted me with, when I take the gifts that, that I've received, when I take the money that I have made over the course of mm. the week and say, God, the things that I have are not the most important thing in my life. Mm. Uh, you are the most important thing in my that's life. Right. And so giving back to God is an opportunity actually to remind our souls that that's, that's the priority of our lives. I love that, man. I think the call is very much to give God our best. Like, let's give God our best. Yeah. Let's go a little further than what we wear. And uh, I do worry sometimes at my church that we're too casual, like casual dress leads to casual worship, leads to casual, uh, you know, view of God. Uh, I do worry about that. But then I worry the other way that a little too legalistic and dogmatic to be like, as long as I wear a suit, I'm good. Like, don't expect anything else of me. I think regardless of what your church does, regardless of what you do, what does it look like on Sunday morning and every day that I wake up to say, I'm going to give God my best. I'm going to, that's going to be my heart posture. Uh, I think if we could do that in jeans and a t-shirt, we could do that in a three-piece suit. That's great. But I think it's something we all need to be challenged with. Okay, coming up next, I've shared many stories, Steve, on this show uh, from the youth baseball, softball, basketball court, all of it. I have another one from yesterday. I'm looking forward to telling you I got another glimpse into everything that is wrong with parents on the youth sports field. I got it yesterday, and I'm going to share it with you next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Steve Koble. My name is Brian Fromm. Steve is sitting in for Aubrey Sampson all week. Uh, I believe Aubrey went to the DR, to the Dominican Republic, not for vacation, but like her and her husband went with some other people to like see a ministry and like experience. And then, but it's also going to be sunny and nice. And uh, it sounds nice. Sounds amazing. (laughs) I mean, not as nice as this, but hey, (laughs) we got it going on. So Steve is sitting in for Aubrey. Steve is one of the pastors at Renewal Church of Chicago. Website, Renewal Church Chicago. How do people find you guys? Yeah, RenewalChicago.com. Uh, um, we're also on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram and all the social medias at Renewal Church of Chicago. So you can find us on all of those. People should go to your website simply because they're listening to you right now and they're probably forming in their head what you look like. So go to the website and go, oh, that's not what I thought. <laughs> Steve gave you a hint in the last segment when he reminded us that he's bald. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Steve's just a, you're a regular young forties, white, bald guy. So (laughs) (laughs) not exactly just kidding. Uh, go to his website and check him out again, renewalchicago.com. Okay. You have a two-year-old and a five-month-old boy. I'm sure you harbor dreams of, uh, their athletic careers. So your two-year-old, let's say, uh, what's his name again? My two-year-old is Trey. All right. So Trey. 
uh, says, Dad, I'm guessing I'm guessing if you could pick one sport for your kid to just be like, this is Dad, I, like, I love this sport. If you could choose, I know we let our kids do what they want, yeah, yeah. follow your passions, blah, blah, blah. But if you could, what would it be? It would be baseball. I thought so. Yeah. I, I mean, for multiple reasons, on one end, I'm like, I, if I had a dad that could kind of guide me a little bit more, maybe I would have made it further in, in baseball. My wife was also a college athlete. She ran oh. track for Purdue. And so I just, I'm like, I think you could have a good shot at making it pretty far in baseball. So he, your kids have a dad who pitched college ball and a mom who was a D1 Big Ten track athlete. Your kid's got some genetics, man. We'll see. They we'll are see. set up. That's what I'm hoping they for. Are set he doesn't up. seem to be too interested in the it's T-ball right he'll, now. He'll get there. He'll get there. All right, so baseball. Uh, do you think you will be somebody who coaches? Will you want to be in Little League? Will you be uh, every year you're like, all right, I'm coaching your team? I th- I think I may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and – I actually had this thought the other day because our staff team went and played a game of five on five pickup basketball. Nice. And I was like adamant about like some of the fundamentals of the game. You know, I'm originally from Indiana, so we got some pretty, pretty serious about the fundamentals of basketball. But I was just like, hit the outlet, man, (laughs) in a pickup game. (laughs) You're running the pick and fence. I'm calling plays. I'm telling people how to box out. It's funny. You know, all the different sort of like fundamentals. And I'm like, man, I don't understand the intricacies of of sports. Like, I don't understand offense uh, of an NFL football team. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. But but some of the fundamentals of stuff, I, I feel like I could teach my kids. And I think. Uh, I would like to do it. So as a dad who's on the other end of this, my kids are still all playing sports. My son plays baseball and stuff. Uh, There will come an age where you can't coach them. So I would encourage you to dive into coaching in those ages where you can. That's a good My wife and I coached our kids' teams all the time. My wife became – it just happened that she would tend to coach the girls' soccer or this and that. There's still kids that refer to her as Coach Carey. I love it. I would always coach or be an assistant coach or whatever on baseball and basketball. There does come a point where your kid is like, it's like, okay, they need like better coaching and not their dad. Uh So there does come that point. But that point is like 12, 13, 14. So right now I would encourage you because it's awesome. You meet parents. Right now you're probably dreaming of being on the field and you don't want some other guy messing up your kid's swing. So, hey, have at it. So anyway. Something I've tried to share on here a lot is I feel like the amount of time I spend, especially on the baseball field, watching uh, the softball field, I see everything that's wrong with uh, parents these days. Mm. And I saw it again. I have to be honest. You probably weren't listening the time that I shared this on this show. Uh, I have excuses for it. It was unwarranted. But this summer, I did get ejected from one of my son's baseball games as a fan. <laughs> Amazing. All right, I'll tell you the story real fast. So we're down in Indiana. We're down in uh, in Indianapolis. Probably in your old one. They yeah, play in yeah. Westfield, Indiana, this yeah. huge field. So it's a tight game. It's extra innings. They're doing like, you know how now the extra inning rules would be like, this guy will start on second with one. Anyway, so we're okay. up. But the other team's coming back. My son gets brought. There's two outs. We're up a run, and I believe the bases are loaded. So it is like pressure. And the ump's been terrible. But he's been terrible both ways. But he's been terrible. 
Uh-huh. Uh, he, uh, my son came in and uh, he threw a pitch that was completely a strike and the um called it a ball. And I turned around. So this is where my excuse is because I turned away from the field, not uh-huh. towards him. I turned away and I said, that's terrible. And all he did was hear it and he chucked me. Really? He did. He was, he was, it was like the end of the line for him from a lot that had gone on in that okay. game. So now I can tell people I've been ejected from a, uh, well, it been 15U game last year. But yesterday, uh, my son, my daughter, and I went to the batting cage at a park where I live in Downers Grove, and there was a 9U girls travel softball practice going on. And, bud, you would have thought these dads were coaching D1. <laughs> One of the dads, one of the coaches started yelling at the girl saying, uh, you are competing for your spots right now. And you're like, they're nine. You, you're competing. Yeah. Then they're hitting balls that no nine-year-old will ever hit. They're yeah. not, they're hitting them way high. And these girls are coming in. It's going over their head. He stops the practice. If next time somebody takes a step in before they go back, you will come sit next to me for the rest of practice. I was yeah. like, oh, my son is laughing. We're like, this was the best line. He comes running out to another one of the outfielders. You girls, you're too nice to each other. I need dogs on this team. <laughs> I need dogs. And we lost it. We're like, well, who's been listening to Deion Sanders here? Yeah, yeah. Can you just give a word as somebody who played higher level sports than I did of what you wish parents knew when they're on the sidelines or they're coaching nine-year-olds, uh, what, what, what's, what's a good word to parents out there? Because I've tried to give this speech on these airways before. Yeah. Parents are completely out of control right now. Yeah. So what's your word to them as one who played much higher level sports than I did? That's a, I mean, that's a great question. I, I do think that the reality is, is that sports are not the end-all, be-all of right. life, right? So, like, if you're starting from that point of, like, this is everything – then there's already like a, a problem. So hopefully as as a follower of Jesus, if you are, like this is a this is like an extracurricular activity. Yes. You know what I mean? That you really enjoy and hopefully your kid really enjoys. And I think that's the the most important thing, that it's it's something that they enjoy. I remember I got to my senior year of high school and I don't know if he changed uh in different times and I remember my freshman year of basketball. You know, these young guys uh, that were new to coaching, they, they played Division One sports, yep. and they come in and, and want to run the the high school team like it's a Division One yes. uh, college sport. And my wife will tell you, people holding scholarships over uh, over her head for for track stuff. It's like it's it's not it's yep. not this deep. Um, and I just remember their their approach was just like everything, and so everybody would be on pins and needles. And I was I was much better at baseball, so I kind of like was like, dude, you're just playing, you're just way too serious. Yep. It's crazy. Some of these guys are not like literally. You you think that you can change how this kid plays overnight just because he can run fast, and it he he can't make the throw to first base. We 100%. need we need the guy who's who's uh, been around for a long time that's got a strong arm and plays with confidence and and. You don't need to be a jerk to him in order in order That's to right. get that out of him. Well, when you coach your son at like eight, you maybe even left, remember this line: "I need dogs on this team. I need dogs on this team." I've I've gone on this rant so many times. 
I've been around it. My kids are old enough to know that parents literally are ruining their kids' childhood mm. now. Like, let them be kids. Let them play. Coach them. Be, you know, do what you got to yeah, do. I'm yeah. sure you were coached hard at times. Yeah. Coach them, but don't ruin the fun, especially at these young ages, like what's happening on the softball field. Well, coming up in a little bit, we're going to end with this. The Gospel Coalition uh, asked this question in an article. Why do we say gospel-centered? Steve and I are going to end Monday's show by talking about what it means to be gospel-centered. Next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Steve Koble, my name is Brian Fromm. Steve, it's been great to have you today filling in for Aubrey. So maybe come back tomorrow, maybe. That's the idea. <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> we'll all be, you can listen to the podcast at like three in the morning when your kid is up tonight <laughs> and all of that. Uh, we're glad that you're joining with us again. Steve is sitting in all week long for Aubrey. And as we close out this Monday show, just a beautiful day out here in the Chicagoland area, beautiful Monday. As we close out the show, the way we want to do so is with an encouragement, some challenge. We want to we want something running in your mind as you go. And I, I, I got thinking about this while reading over at the Gospel Coalition. This is actually from a couple years ago, but I resaw the article. It just says this. Why do we say gospel centered? So this phrase gospel centered. Uh, do you guys use that in your church at all? Yeah, I would say we use it. Uh, we do like a gospel-centered life class. Okay. Uh, uh, Bob Thune uh, wrote a, a little kind of church pamphlet for that. Um, we we talk about being Christ-centered. We 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 use the language. Uh, sometimes it it gets like the gospel gets lost in the gospel-centered yeah. you know statement or phrase. It means a, it kind of um, kind of doesn't have the same clarity that it once did, but. Mm. Um, I would say we use it regularly. Okay. Uh, so back when we had a bulletin, right now we give out a one piece of paper, but uh, we used to, you know, when we first started the church, we had the bulletin. Like it was, and on the cent- on the Legit. front of it, it said a gospel centered community. Yeah. Yeah. You know, feeling good. Uh, so that language is out there in this article is actually surprised to realize that it's it's a kind of a newer phrase. By newer, mm. I mean last hundred years. Right, right. You know, right. I, I never really knew it. How would you define when you do a gospel centered class or you talk to people? Let's take the positive end of it. How would you define what you're talking about? That's a great question, and and one of the reasons why I think uh, the gospel is so multifaceted uh, in terms of uh, creation, fall, redemption. Mm. Uh, renewal, restoration, all of those different things, my own individual salvation being me being declared right with God on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ and what he's what he's done. Um, And so I think that that's where it gets foggy. But I I think, uh, you know, the way that I would describe it and the way that I often think of it is uh, on what the kind of natural human operating system is. And I think that the natural human operating system, whether or not you're religious or completely irreligious, mm-hmm. is some form of law-based uh, uh, pursuit, some form of I do these steps and therefore I gain favor mm. with X, Y, and Z. That's right. I do these steps and I justify my existence. I do these steps and uh, my mom and dad will be proud of me, mm. all of those different things. 
and and even in other world religions it's it's the same kind of thing i do these steps and then god there's favor from god on the basis of the things that i've done that's right and so the gospel is so uh drastically different than that that it's solely on the basis of the perfect work of Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, like the person and work of Jesus is the gospel. Mm, Um, He is the grace of God. Um, And so when people think of grace being uh, kind of like just this noun that we used and pull into uh, different phrases Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, Jesus is grace. Mm. Um, And so it, it takes the, the perspective from, all right, Jesus is a piece of the puzzle, uh, you know, th- like I accept Jesus and I move on to, mm. to doing other things. That's right. You know, Paul says in Galatians 3 and 3, you foolish Galatians having begun by the spirit, are you now attempting to be per- perfected by the flesh? Mm. And the point being is that I think the mode of operating for every human being is some form of do things to gain acceptance with God. Mm. Mm. And when you start to operate that way, then God becomes sort of either your cosmic butler um, <laughs> yeah. or he becomes the guy who lets you down mm. um, because you've done all these things for God. You ought to do something uh, for me. Mm. Um, and the basis for our faith in inherently is God has already met the greatest need that we have in being declared right with him, our belonging, acceptance and approval being on the basis of grace and not my performance or grace and not my ability to do things. Um, so that then when I look at God, I still see a God who lavishes me with his love. Yeah. Um, and so the idea of being gospel centered puts God in right perspective. Um, and it, it puts, uh, me in right perspective for how to relate to God. Uh, and then it puts my own spiritual growth and journey in right perspective, knowing that, it's solely on the basis of grace That's right. that I've I've received uh, right standing with God, but I'm I'm growing uh, through the grace that has been given to me, and it's not I started with grace and then I move on to, right. to other stuff to to you know get get God back into the you know right standing with me and mm-hmm. and all of this kind of thing. So it's it's it, I think it's so important to to clarify and to uplift and put into you know vision and mission statements because it's not our natural mode of operating. Mm, yeah, that's, man, you were preaching there because I think that the danger of it is we just start to, with any term, you just kind of throw it out and it mm. loses its meaning, right? Like we're gospel centered and you're like, it feels like a catchphrase now, a marketing yeah. deal. But but you did so well there was to say, no, here's what it means. It's a way of looking at the at not just the world, but our faith and uh, where, where who we are in relation to God. And, and we talk about this a lot on the show that, for those of us who've been in the church for a long time, a lot of times we can start to think the gospel's the beginning, but then my obedience is what carries me through or yeah. whatever else. And that's dangerous. And th- th- he ends his article this way at the Gospel Coalition. If gospel-centered means that we constantly return to the message of salvation through Christ alone, a message derived from the perfectly authoritative word of God, then by all means, let's be gospel-centered. Let's end our show this way, Steve. Someone's driving right now. They're listening. They're like... I don't feel, I hear what you're saying. I don't feel yeah. like God could ever love me. You don't know what I've done. I don't feel like God could, the gospel, it sounds wonderful, but God could never love me. How, how do you respond to that person? Yeah, I, I think the, the point of 
even if you just look at the scope of scripture and I, I realize it's a, it's a sense and a feeling, um, like how you feel about how God is relating to you based on what you've done. But, but the reality is, is that God loved you before you did anything. Mm. So in John three sixteen, it's, it's, it, God's, God's love for you predates like you doing anything mm. for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yeah. So his love for you isn't predicated on your doing of anything or not doing or the wrong things that you've done. His love was already there present uh, before uh, any part of you started to decide mm, to live so a certain important. way. Yeah. Um, and so God's love predates anything that you've done. His affection for you as his creation predates anything that you've done. And the good news of the God that we worship and serve is that his heart for us is is one of affection and love and lavishness so much so that he sent his son the uh so, sort of like the the mag- magnitude of that gift itself mm-hmm. right sometimes that gets missed in in the scope of things that uh he loves you so much that he sent his son um and and his son lived the life that you couldn't live and his son died the death that you deserved to die and his son resurrected in victory over mm. satan sin and death so that not on the basis of the things that you've done or not done that you can receive belonging acceptance and approval solely on the basis of the gift of grace that's the god that we serve that's the god that we love uh and that's that's the way that god wants to relate mm. to you on the basis of his love and your only response, regardless of those of us who have done all the right steps and done all the good things, the prodigal uh, son and the older brother were both uh, missing from, right. <laughs> from right. the father's heart. Um, and his, his desire for you is simply to respond by faith in Jesus. That's a good word, man. Well, this is what I love about our show. We started with Taylor Swift today. We ended with the gospel. We ended with how can you find acceptance in Christ? We hope that was helpful to you. We are glad that you were with us today. We will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Steve Koble, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.